good to see all of you here this morning, and uh, it is a blessing to be able to sing about what worship really is about. I know a lot of times we make it about all sorts of things, and selfishly want it to be about us, but really, all of worship is about the Lord, and how can we make the main thing and keep the main focus on Jesus? Well, in a lot of ways, this last week that we've been looking at in the earthly ministry of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew, that's really the problem that Jesus has with people that he's been talking to. It started out with him coming into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and then that same day turning tables over in the temple because people were buying and selling and really not there to worship. Then, of course, last week we looked at a passage of Scripture where Jesus deals with Pharisees and tells them all sorts of issues that they have and that they fail to see who Jesus really is. Well, today in Matthew chapter 24, if you would take your Bibles and turn there, you're going to see a passage of Scripture today that some of you might say is a fire and brimstone kind of sermon. And while it is a, an alarming text of Scripture and an eye-opening statement that Jesus makes to those that are listening, He is saying to those that are hearing then and those that are hearing now that what we have to do as a church and what we must do as Christians is look at the world around us and look at things that happen to us and look at things that happen in our community and do what Jesus says to do and that is the title of the message today learning to make sense of it all how can we make sense of a world that makes no sense how can we put together situations that we go through that just don't seem to have the answers that we want them to have how can we look at what goes on even in our own country or our own community and all of a sudden just make sense of it all. Well, that's the real struggle that Jesus is leading these people that are listening to what he has to say. That's really the struggle they're going through. Some of you perhaps watched or heard on Thursday there was a mission to Mars that took place. I didn't know how big of a deal this was, and some people made it a, a really big deal, but it's a, a mission called Perseverance. Supposed to send and did send a, some kind of a module to Mars to be able to go around and take some samples of dirt and rock and dig down into the crust of Mars. And what they're looking for is microscopic, fossilized things. Bugs, maybe. Insects. Some kind of proof that life in some way existed at one time on Mars. And so they're looking for these microscopic fossilized things and they're hoping to bring those back and to study them and to perhaps prove once and for all that life at some point existed on Mars. You know, I read those kinds of things and I find them fascinating and interesting just like everybody else does, I think. But I always have questions. I mean, I always sit back and I wonder, and my first question is, why? You bring back a microscopic fossilized 
thing, whatever it might have been, as proof that something did exist in some live fashion on Mars. But yet, what does it prove? Because the planet of Mars certainly doesn't sustain life the way that our planet does. Certainly doesn't have the complexity of life that our planet has. You can send all kinds of modules to all sorts of planets and still come back with the same evidence that our planet is unique. The ozone layer holds all sorts of complexity of life and birds and bees and trees and grass and human beings. My other question, though, is why spend billions upon billions of dollars to bring back fossilized microscopic things when there is so much evidence on this planet of a divine creator who not only set up our world in such a unique way, but sent his own son to communicate with us how we can have not only life abundant now, but eternal life. I wish those billions upon billions of dollars would have been spent with some kind of an evangelistic effort to show people on this planet that God is real. That we serve a living Savior who has come, who has lived and died, was buried, and rose again. And there is no fossilized evidence of His burial because He walked out of the tomb. But you see, Jesus is irritated in some way, but He is moved with compassion in other ways. Because the same problem that existed in Matthew chapter 24 long before a mission to Mars was ever even dreamed is the same problem that we struggle with today. And that is how can we take a world that makes no sense? How can we take a world that is not looking for God? How can we take a planet who is not interested in Jesus and point them to the sovereign creator of the universe and tell them that as much as you may want to revolt against who you really are, you were created in the image of the invisible God. And you bear the likeness, as Jesus said, to give back to God what is God's. And here in this passage of Scripture, we hear a fire and brimstone message from Jesus as if He is resounding even His voice from heaven today saying, make sense of it all by pointing people to Me. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14 is our text of Scripture today. And if you're able to, would you stand as we read this passage of Scripture together? And as we prayerfully make sense of it all. The Bible says in verse 1 that Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when His disciples came to point out to Him the buildings of the temple, He answered to them, You see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. 
And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the word that you have given to us today that the Lord Jesus resounded on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago. And Father, we know that we are 2,000 years closer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus and this time of difficulty that he describes. But Father, we may not be another 2,000 years from it. We may just be a matter of years or months or perhaps even days. This time will begin of difficulty unlike any other. And Father, while our days may be short, we pray that you would help us to make sense of it all and be the church that you've called us to be by being the witness that we need to be. Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that it would impact our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a couple of attention getters that Jesus has in this text of scripture today that I want to leave with you that I hope that after hearing this message today that they will stick with your mind that they will be planted in your heart and unmistakably you will be different when you leave today so that's the great thing about studying anything and, and reading the words of Jesus as we never leave the same we may become more cold and indifferent and, and dispassionate about the things of God, or we may have a burning heart and a desire to be exactly what he wants us to be. But that's really my prayer for all of us today, is that we will, in fact, hear what we need to hear, and then do what we need to do. This may be an uncomfortable message for some of you because you don't want to think about the end of time. You don't want to think about how many days we may have left or, or how much opportunity we have to do this or to do that. But you know, the Bible teaches us in the book of James to really say that if the Lord wills and this is what will be and that's what will be. And honestly, this is the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus. 
that our life is not our own and our time is borrowed from Him and everything that we are should be given back to Him because this moment is coming. First thing I want you to pay attention to in this text of Scripture is first of all, we need to hear what we need to hear. We must see what we need to see. Let us look into this passage of Scripture and see exactly what Jesus says we must see. He begins in these first two verses by telling the disciples. After they point out the temple, he says to them, I want you to understand that not one stone is going to be left on top of another in this day. Now I can tell you after being in Israel three times and walking around the city of Jerusalem, the temple's not there anymore. Hadn't been there for a while. Had been there. Had been rebuilt. Been there again. Been torn down. Been rebuilt a third time. Still today, after being torn down the third time, it's not there. The walls of the city of Jerusalem have been torn down many times. Been rebuilt. Torn down. Been rebuilt. There are very few places where there are thousands of year old stones on top of each other. And in fact, on one side of the Temple Mount area, you can see large stones that are, have been left just on the side of the Temple Mount where they are still have been fallen and have not been moved in 2,000 years. Because see, in 70 A.D., after this prophecy of Jesus, the temple was destroyed and the city of Jerusalem was ransacked and Christians were made to leave and Jews were persecuted. And so just about 40 years after this prophecy of Jesus, all of a sudden it starts to become true. They begin to see what Jesus is talking about. But you see, we have a level of comfort in the things that we see. We have a level of comfort in our home and in our church and in our cars and in our community and in familiarity we have a sense of comfort in the things that we know what happens when those things are taken away what happens when those stones are not left on top of another what happens when familiarity is no more you see jesus is saying that in these days you're going to see some things that are going to rock your world only simply because it is a sign that our hope and our eternal destiny is not built on the things that we see. It's built on the unseen. The kingdom of Christ is not built on what can be shaken. It is a kingdom that will never shake. And so Jesus is simply telling them what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friend, I'm telling you what Jesus is telling you and what Paul is telling you is that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Not our house, not our home, not our church, not our community. Not on things that we can grab, not on things that we can buy. Not on things that we don't want to part with, but on the things that are in the hand of Jesus. But what happens when the end comes? What happens when our kingdom begins to be shaken? What happens when those stones that we've put on top of each other and those things that bring familiarity, what happens when those begin to be destroyed? Notice what Jesus said in verse 4. He said, see that no one leads you astray. For many, verse 5, will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. We've seen this already. Just over the last 40, 50, 60 years, we've seen a number of people that have been exalted as some kind of special religious leader. In our own country, we've seen all sorts of people that have gotten a a faction of people or a cult of people together and, in a sense, made them drink the Kool-Aid. Convince them that their way, their teaching, their insight is from God. And Jesus says, listen, the closer we get to the second coming, that's only going to get worse. Friend, if you're going to see people that are going to claim to be Christ, if you're going to hear messages of people say, trust me, listen to me, buy what I'm selling, believe what I'm telling you, follow me, send money to me, believe in what I'm saying. If that's going to happen more and more before Jesus comes, what is the solution? You better get closer to Jesus and know Him. Because the more that you know Jesus, the less you're going to be convinced by somebody who's not Him. You're going to notice the difference between someone who is telling you something because they have a YouTube channel or because they have thousands of people that come and listen to them. You're going to instantly know the difference between somebody who's speaking in their own authority and someone who's speaking because they are filled with the Spirit of the living God. Jesus said many are going to come and they're going to be false Christs. They're going to gain your attention. They're going to gain your trust. And he said, do not be led astray. Friend, in these last days, we're going to see some difficult things. But our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. You're going to have loss. You're going to have pain. You're going to have difficulty. And the time then when those things happen is not to withdraw from Christ, but to get even closer to Him and know that your only hope is to be close to Jesus. Because He goes on to say in verse 6, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you're not alarmed for this must take place But the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. Ladies that have born children, you know what those birth pains feel like. I've been told they're uncomfortable. I've been told that you'll never forget them and yet many of you have had more than one child and you don't mind going through it all over again why 
Because those pains, while intense and painful and difficult, are momentary. They pass. And the beauty of what happens after the birth pains are over far exceeds those momentary, painful moments. Jesus says to the church, don't fall away because of a few moments of pain and know that what is on the other side of that pain is even more beautiful than those moments of difficulty. You see, people that are really not committed to Christ look for any opportunity to run away. Jesus says when those difficult moments come, you use those birth pains as a reason to run to me, not from me. Because these are things that we're going to see. The world is going to fall apart. Countries are going to crash and collapse. Markets are going to fail. Leaders are going to let people down. Policies are not going to work. Political parties are going to fall apart and disappoint. And there are going to be viruses and issues and famines and earthquakes and all of these painful things. And yet God is still in control. Some of you have had your own life fall apart. You've had your own set of pain, your own difficulty, your own frustrations, and yet it's in those moments that God provides a strength that is unspeakable and a comfort to let you know that He is still there. Friend, do not put your eyes on something else, but see what you're supposed to see. Understand that these things are coming. But it's not a reason to run away. Destruction is coming. I remember when I was a kid, my home church in Baton Rouge, we had a little building that was built before our main sanctuary and before the main education building was built. It was just a little three-room building out in the back of the property. And it hadn't been used in years. And the church decided to destroy it, tear it down, burn it, just clear it off of the property. It was becoming more of a hazard than anything else. And so they decided to let anybody and everybody come on one Saturday morning and just destroy that building. And they let me help. I was a kid. I was probably seven, eight years old. They gave me a hammer and they said, have fun. Nothing was going to be spared. Nothing was going to be used again. Everything in that building was coming down. And some friends of mine and I, we got our hammers and we got some sledgehammer. Yeah, they trusted us with that. They didn't know me that well back then. But they said, go and knock the walls out. Go and rip stuff out of the closet. Go and, and just have fun. I've never had more fun destroying something and not getting in trouble for it in my life. It was glorious. I think back of the, to that morning uh, as like a highlight of my life because I was allowed and encouraged to destroy a building and I didn't get in trouble for it. I was praised for it. It was so weird, but it was so wonderful. But you know, I thought, I wonder how long it took for whoever built that building to build it to lay the foundation, to put the walls and to put the trusses up and to put the roof on and to 
do all of the wiring and the little bit of plumbing of that building. I wonder how many weeks or maybe even months it took to build that building. It took a day to destroy it. And it was so fun. But you see, that's what sin does to you. It may take years to build your testimony. It takes seconds to destroy it. It takes a lifetime to build a relationship with God to where we are walking with Him. And in the words of Jesus, it would only take seconds to have somebody put their eyes on something or someone else other than Jesus. Friend, God builds and sin destroys. And what the Bible is saying to you today is don't let those times of destruction destroy your focus and your attention on God and what He has been building into you. Those moments of faith, those moments of trust, those moments of a passionate relationship with God. Don't let some momentary problem and issue Take away what God has spent years building into your life. You're going to see some things that you need to see. But then secondly, the Bible tells us what we must do. There are things that we must see. But then the Bible tells us clearly, Jesus instructs us, there are things that we must do. Listen to what Jesus says beginning in verse 9. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. You see, what Jesus is saying is that this time of persecution the beginning moments of the tribulation now we don't have time to do it in entire study of the book of revelation that'll be for a sunday night at some point but this beginning of the time of tribulation the bible teaches is going to be difficult that there is as the book of revelation teaches a calling out a a rapturing of and a taking away a removal of god's people from that situation but there's going to be a limited amount of time when God's people are going to endure that kind of difficulty on this earth. And Jesus simply says that some will be put to death, some will turn away. There will be some, as He says, false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Why will people walk away from something that they have professed? Why would people who sit in a church and sing songs about Jesus and, and stay awake during a message like this, why would people in, that, that are willing to do that walk away from the faith? Well, the Bible teaches us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith. And follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Friend, I want you to understand. 
that we're all going to do something when the end comes. There are going to be some that are going to do what Jesus says to do in this passage of Scripture, and yet there are going to be some that are going to do the opposite of what Jesus says, and they're going to run away from Him. You're going to make a decision at the end of this message. You're going to make a decision when the time of tribulation begins. You're going to make a decision when your faith is on the line and you're being persecuted one way or the other. You're going to make a decision. You're going to do something. And Jesus says that it is clear that some are going to respond in the wrong way. Listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Just imagine a church that loves each other, prays for each other, sings songs together, listens to preaching, goes to Bible study together, everything is wonderful. All of a sudden, something goes wrong. Times of persecution, times of difficulty. And Jesus says, the love that was so warm and the fellowship that was so sweet that in some, that love will grow cold. People will begin to hate one another. People will begin to turn away from the Lord, turn away from the church, turn away from one another. Listen, this is a response that Jesus said, some will do. What's your response going to be? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be hating one another, turning away from Christ, turning away from the church, turning away from this fellowship that we have? Listen to me, church. You have a decision to make. And I'm going to tell you the gospel honest truth. I would rather you make that decision now for the good than to wait until the time gets bad. You know, it's much like conviction. If you have a conviction about something, don't wait until you're in the situation to decide what you're going to do. Decide before you're in that situation how you're going to respond to bring glory and honor to God. And when that decision presents itself, then you know how you're going to act. Go ahead and decide today to act for Jesus. Go ahead and decide today that when things get bad, this is how I'm going to honor God. Go ahead and make up your mind today that when difficulty, persecution, tribulation, loss, challenges, problems come, bank accounts get zeroed, trust and faith and government goes to an all-time low People are turning against each other. Nations are falling apart. People are losing their life. Go ahead and decide today, this is how I'm going to honor the Lord. Because Jesus says in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What is the response? Suck it up. Grin and bear it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What is the response that Jesus wants from the church in times of pain and loss 
and difficulty and love is growing cold and false Christs are coming and people are dying and losing their life and people are leaving the church for no good reason and others are just listening to all of this foolishness. What in the world are we supposed to do? Doug, I'm so glad you asked. I can tell you want to know. What are we supposed to do in those moments? Verse 15 says it all. Or verse 14, rather. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Do you know what Jesus says you must do when pain and problems and difficulty and loss and frustration and a lack of faith and a lack of love comes? Jesus says the gospel must be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. When your life gets rough, Tell people about Jesus. When you're diagnosed with the disease, tell people about Jesus. When you lose a loved one, tell people about Jesus being a source of hope and love. When people accuse you of ridiculous things that you know are not true, tell people about Jesus. When everything else falls apart, you run to the one who holds it all together. When people are dropping away from the faith and having all sorts of problems and issues and running to every kind of answer they can find, you go back on your knees in prayer and go face to face with Jesus and say that nothing and no one and no problem and no pain and no challenge will ever make you lose hope and faith in the one who promises everything. During our country's perhaps worst moment, Abraham Lincoln stood right in the middle of the Civil War where our country was divided and we were killing each other on battlefields in some of the bloodiest battles and loss of, of life of Americans that our country has ever seen. Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States at that time, stood up and said these words. He said, It has seemed to me fit and proper that the gifts of God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged with one heart and with one voice by the whole American people. He said, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as the day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficiaries Beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Abraham Lincoln said, in our country's worst moment, 
we need to stop and say thank you to God. In our worst moment as a church, we should find a reason to say thank you to God for His faithfulness. In the worst moments of our life, we should find ways to say, God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. And in those difficult moments that are to come, whatever they look like, whatever they cost us, whatever the pain, whatever the difficulty is, let us fix our eyes on Jesus and say to him, Jesus, I thank you for all of the promises, for all of the faith, for all of the comfort and for all of the blessings, in spite of the pain, God, thank you for the blessings. And let us do, as Jesus said in verse 14, let us preach the gospel of Jesus throughout this world so that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My question to you right now how are you going to respond are you going to run away from Jesus or are you going to start running now to him perhaps for the very first time some of you need to come to Jesus and trust him and confess him as the savior and lord of your life but perhaps others of you have either gone through pain or going through pain, or in anticipation of the pain to come, you need to run to Jesus and say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed at the thought that Your one and only Son can carry us through the most difficult, painful moments of our lives. And Father, no matter what we have experienced in the past or are experiencing right now, Father, whatever it is that we may experience in the future, the promises of the Lord Jesus, your one and only Son, are still true. And Father, your word tells us that you are an ever-present help in a time of trouble. And I pray, God, that as we anticipate whatever the future may hold, these moments that Jesus described that are coming in the future, God, I pray that our faith would not be shaken, but instead that we would be encouraged and our faith would be strong. God, may you do a great and mighty work in our hearts as we respond to your word today. And may you draw us all closer to Jesus, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.